Welcome to Scary Mysteries, brought to you by Nudon Films. Every Monday, we'll tell you about topics that range from serial killers and UFOs to unexplained mysteries, ghosts, and everything in between. If it's scary and it's mysterious, then we've got you covered. And check us out on YouTube as well if you want to watch each episode. Thanks for tuning in. Top 5 Most Creepy and Mysterious Paranormal Events Mysterious paranormal events occur all the time, but are often overlooked. Without a proper explanation as to how they occurred, many people dismiss their existence altogether. But nevertheless, that doesn't mean they didn't happen. The cases in this list may frighten you and leave you scratching your head. These are the top 5 most creepy and mysterious paranormal events. Number 5. Terry Cottle's Heart It was 1989 and Terry and Cheryl had just gotten married. The two had been having a passionate affair for months and after their respective divorces they were finally able to be with each other. At first things were great, but Terry was struggling to make ends meet and the stress began to take its toll. Unable to provide for his wife, one day Terry entered their bathroom armed with a 22 caliber pistol and shot himself in the head. 60 miles away, 57-year-old Sonny Graham was on a heart transplant waiting list. An Air Force veteran and avid hunter, he contracted a virus that damaged his heart and left him unable to do many activities. Terry Cottle and his heart were the perfect match for Graham, and so he was finally able to get the transplant surgery he so desperately needed. Graham and his wife of over 30 years, Elaine, were so overwhelmed with gratefulness they arranged to meet Terry's widow to thank her personally. They went out to dinner in 1997 and kept close. In 1999, Elaine found out that Sonny had been seeing Cheryl on the side and so she divorced him. In a letter later written by Sonny, he said, I fell in love with Cheryl the first time we met. By 2001, Cheryl and Sonny were living together but it would be a rocky relationship. They broke up and got back together several times over the next few years in what seemed to be the quintessential love-hate relationship. In a newspaper article in 2006, when Graham was interviewed regarding their situation, he said, I felt like I had known her for years. I couldn't keep my eyes off her. I just stared. One April morning in 2008, Graham drank his coffee and was getting ready to go to the family-owned landscaping business, but instead of heading for work, he took a detour and went to the shed. He brought with him a 12-gauge Remington shotgun, pointed at the right side of his throat, and pulled the trigger. It would be 13 years since he had received Terry Cottle's heart, and Graham had not only fallen in love with the same woman, but killed himself in the same way as his donor had. Number 4. Carissa Glenn Carissa Glenn was like any ordinary teen, she was an intelligent 18-year-old who had dreams of becoming a police officer and was working at the bar at the Sloop Inn. She had just moved into a new flat in the southern part of England, but found some unsettling news about her new home. The previous owner, a young woman, had committed suicide by hanging herself. Carissa was bothered by this and couldn't stop mentioning a presence in her flat to friends and family. At one point, she even said how she hated going home because she knew she would have to deal with it. This presence bothered her so much that she would often call her family in a frantic state complaining about it. 
She talked at length about vivid nightmares she had about the woman inside the home and having seen her hanging from the rafters. Her family begged her to move back in with them, which she considered, but before she could commit, tragedy struck. On the night before her death, she was with friends having drinks. She left the bar in the early morning hours and failed to show up to work the next day. Upon investigation, authorities found Carissa inside her apartment. She had hung herself from the bathroom railing using a pink scarf. So did Carissa Glenn commit suicide? Her mother says she wasn't suicidal and believes that she was possibly sleepwalking. Her family admits she had a history of sleepwalking, and while in the midst of one of her nightmares, she may have acted out her own suicide without even fully realizing it. In the end, no one really knows for sure why Carissa Glenn killed herself. Was she conscious of her decision? Or is it possible someone or something inside her apartment drove her to do it? Number three, the Pollock family, Jacqueline and Joanna. John and Florence Pollock lived with their two daughters, Jacqueline, who was six years old, and Joanna, 11, in Hexham, England. Their two daughters were healthy and happy, and the couple lived an idyllic life. But all that changed on May 5, 1957. Jacqueline, Joanna, and a friend of theirs, Anthony, were on their way to church when a car lost control and slid straight into the children. All three of them died instantly. John and Florence were devastated, but they didn't lose hope. John strongly believed his daughters would come back and that Florence would soon give birth to two girls. As odd as it sounds, that did happen on October 4, 1958, when Florence gave birth to twin girls, Jennifer and Jillian. When the babies were born, John noted Jennifer had an unusual mark on her forehead, similar to the scar Jacqueline once had from a bike accident. When he checked the baby's leg, he also noticed a birthmark in the same location as Jacqueline's birthmark. The family moved out of town and into Whitley Bay when the babies were three months old, and by the time they were four, the family made its way back to Hexham. As they were driving through town, the twins pointed out landmarks, including a school, which the two swore was their school they used to attend. When they dug out old toys Jacqueline and Joanna once owned, the girls were able to identify and give the toys the exact names the deceased girls once called them. One day, Florence noticed the twins playing an unusual game. It involved Jennifer lying down on the floor with her head resting on her sister. Jillian would then calmly say to Jennifer that the blood would be coming from her eyes because that's where the car hit her. Months later, they experienced something even more unnerving, when the twins went into a frenzy when they walked past a car with a running engine. The two were screaming at the top of their lungs, saying, The car, it's coming to get us. Both John and Florence claimed they never mentioned the death of their siblings to the twins until they were much older. Strangely, the memories of the girls vanished by the time they hit five years old. They disappeared almost overnight, and the family continued to live normal lives. Number 2. Room 428 of Wilson Hall It's a ghost story that has become a legend for the students of Ohio University. Room 428 in Wilson Hall is an unusual room said to be haunted. It's always locked and students aren't allowed inside. Over the years there have been those that have broken in. Students that have stayed in the room reported having objects mysteriously flying around and smashing into walls. The doors would close and open by themselves and strange voices would be heard. 
There were also those who reported something more sinister, a demonic face that would imprint itself on the door. So why is room 428 in Wilson Hall haunted? Legend has it that a young man died mysteriously in 428 and after his death, those who occupied the room experienced the strange phenomena. A young girl who was into the occult moved into the room a short time later and killed herself by slitting her wrists. Ever since, the room has been boarded up and sealed shut permanently. Others say it's because of the location of the building itself. It sits at the center of a pentagram with the five points punctuated by cemeteries. Pentagrams can be either good or bad depending on what it's used for. Meanwhile, there are also rumors that at one time the land was actually an ancient Indian burial ground. To put these rumors to rest, research was done during the 80s and they did discover that the location was indeed a cemetery at one time for the Athens Mental Institution. The asylum was once a thriving and revolutionary place for those needing mental help, but over time, it dwindled and became a torturous place where electroshock therapy and lobotomies were common. Today, Wilson Hall is still an active dorm on the Ohio University campus, but the hauntings in room 428 still continue, and so it remains locked shut. Number 1. Teresita Bassa Solving murders is often a job given to detectives. Sometimes they find a witness or key piece of evidence that points to the killer. But what if the victim is the one that breaks the case? And what if she does it from beyond the grave? This is exactly what happened in the case of Teresita Bassa. Teresita was born in the Philippines. She had moved to the United States and worked as a respiratory therapist in the now defunct Edgewater Hospital in Chicago. She lived alone in an apartment near Pine Grove, the same place where she would die. On February 21, 1977, smoke started to come out of Teresita's apartment. The fire department was called and when they put out the fire and checked inside, they found Teresita. Her body was nude and made to look as if she had been raped, but medical reports confirmed she wasn't. Her body was covered in a mattress that the killer had set on fire in hopes of burning her body. A large butcher knife was found embedded in her torso. Police were stumped and they didn't have any leads. Six months would pass until Detective Joe Stachula received a note on his desk that said contact Dr. Jose Chua. Once the two got in touch, Dr. Chua shared that his wife Remy had been experiencing some weird trances where she seemed possessed by the ghost of Teresita. The detective initially dismissed it, but it started to happen more and more frequently and the doctor wanted answers. Each time, the ghost possessing Remy's body would disclose more information about the case. At one point, Teresita named her killer, stating, The man responsible for my murder was a man named Alan Showery, and the proof can be found with his girlfriend. The voice continued, After he killed me, he took my jewelry and gave it to his girlfriend. The voice also added that the jewelry was purchased by Teresita's dad and given as a gift to her mother. It even went on to name actual people who could identify the jewelry. Although the detectives were apprehensive, they still decided to investigate the lead and sure enough, they found Alan Showery who was an orderly at the same hospital that Teresita worked in. They questioned him and he admitted that he went to Teresita's apartment that day to fix her TV but left because he had to get some tools. His girlfriend was then questioned shortly after and she mentioned that Alan did give her several pieces of jewelry as a late Christmas present. 
Some family members included in the list were contacted to identify the jewelry and they confirmed it had been Teresita's. Confronted by the facts, Showery caved and confessed to the murder. Upon further searching, they found another piece of necklace belonging to Teresita inside Allen's home. Showery was put on trial. The first one resulted in a hung jury because of the nature of the case, but the second time, he was found guilty and sentenced to 14 years in prison. Is it really possible for a ghost to solve her own murder? In the case of Teresita, it certainly seems that's exactly what happened. Those were the top five most creepy, mysterious paranormal events. There are events we can't explain in this world, and while there's no denying they happened, why or how they occurred exactly is up for debate. Thanks for listening, and remember to subscribe and check out Scary Mysteries on YouTube as well for additional videos. I'll see you next week.